Good evening, dear friends, and welcome to our Living Without Fear seminar. We're living in a very interesting times, and in the times when a lot of people are filled with fear, and they do not know where to go and what to do. But the Word of God gives us very certain answers, and that's what we are here for. We want to learn about our health, and we want to learn about spiritual health, and how can we live without fear. Today is our fourth session and our topic for today is speaking like a dragon, but we're going to uh, wait for that and we will dive in into God's word a bit later. We're going to start with health presentation and then we're going to dive in into God's word. So let's bow our heads for the word of prayer before we begin. Father in heaven, Lord, we are so thankful for the fact that we are alive and you have been taking care of us and protecting us. And Lord, we believe it's just because of your blessing that we are able to be here to enjoy these presentations. Lord, we pray that you would give us the divine peace that only you can give in these uncertain and unprecedented uh, times for us. We trust in you and we believe that you will be the one speaking to our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good evening and Welcome to our Living Without Fear Prophecy Seminar. We'd like to welcome those who are watching it online, on YouTube or Facebook, in your homes, and those who will be watching later when it's recorded. I'm glad you're joining us. When I was in school, I remember reading uh, the book about World War II. And uh, the main character of that book was a little boy. He was like maybe a nine-year-old uh, fellow. His name was Vanya Solntsev. I think I referred to the story before, but it's such a good story uh, because I, I fell in love, so to speak, with this little, um, little boy because he was so helpful. He wanted to be in the middle of the action. He wanted to help everybody, and uh, he was such a neat boy. And uh, at the same time, he was surrounded with danger because he was in the battlefield always in the battlefield, and uh, he would say, please take me to the, to the very uh, heat of the battle. I want to be there with you, helping the soldiers and stuff. And, and I, uh, I began to worry about him, because I didn't think that it's safe for him, and if he's going to make it even. Um, and I would be devastated if I would read about my little Vanya Solnsev uh, blown up by the grenade or something like that. So I couldn't read the book. <laughs> I was scared. Do you know what, what I did? I went to the end of the book. I went to the very end of the book and I was looking for the name. And, oh yeah, I found, I found the name. And, ah uh, yeah, his name is there. So, he is all right. He made it through the whole book. So now I can go back and read the book knowing that everything will be, will be just fine. My friends, um, our life is, is the book that we are reading, and we can't put it away. We can't close it. We keep reading the book. And 2020 is an interesting chapter in that book. None of us knew what 2020 would bring, and now we are here in 2020. But the good news is, that we know the end of the book. Amen? And we know that God will see us through because he promised. 
And things will get harder. We know from the prophecies of the Bible, things will get worse before they get better. Amen? <laughs> things will get worse, but they also will get better. So we have a good news. That's why our seminar is called Living uh, Without uh, Fear. Today, friends, we will look at chapter 11 in the book of Revelation. It's not an easy chapter, but I know that the Lord will bless us because he promised to guide us and lead us into all truth when we open his word. So in chapter 11, in, um, in the book of Revelation, let me, let me find the chapter. Um, so we'll be beginning from the very first verse of chapter 11 in Revelation. It says here that, um, Then I was given a reed, like a measuring rod. And the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar and those who worship there. But leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Interesting vision. Again, it begins in the temple. And obviously the temple is not an earthly temple. Um, in the vision, John sees the temple in heaven. Um, and uh, he is given a command to, to measure the temple. Well, if we, if we look at the structure of the temple um, and the, the way it was built, it had a tabernacle. Let's see if I can... Um, picture the tabernacle for you. So um, this is the tabernacle, and it has two compartments. And this compartment was called a holy place. And uh, it had three objects in it. And so it had um, a candlestick. And it also had a table um, with a showbread. Six on each side. And uh, it had a golden altar here. And the most holy place, it had one object, and it was the Ark of the Covenant. And there was the tables of the law inside of the covenant, inside of the Ark and under the uh, mercy seat or the cover of the of the of the ark, and so all of these objects that I just um, pictured for you, they are mentioned in different chapters of Revelation. And for example, in Revelation chapter four, um, the candlestick is mentioned, um, and then we have a golden altar is mentioned in Revelation chapter eight, and in Revelation eighteen, the ark of the covenant is mentioned. Specifically, Revelation 18:19, and the reason we know that this is the the temple in heaven is because it says that I have seen a temple in heaven. He's specific, so it says you need to measure the temple and those who are worshiping in it. What does it mean to measure the temple? I'd like to suggest two interpretations for the word measure. Well, measuring, first of all, is the language of the judgment. And uh, measuring, you know, when, um, 
when there was a bloodless hand appeared on the wall in the times of Daniel, uh, it, was, it was writing the words that you were weighted on the balances, you were measured. Um, it was the time of judgment. And so it says, measure those who are worshiping in it. It has to do with the people of God, first of all. And we know the judgment will begin from the house of God. So measuring the temple is language of judgment, and it, it happens to be at the time of the end when the judgment is taking place. And so uh, measuring the temple, it says, and those who are worshiping in it, but do not measure the court. Now the court or the courtyard was a larger area, and there were two other objects in the courtyard. There was a big altar of burnt offering, and there was a... Um, place where uh, priests would wash their hands. Um, it was labor, did I say it right? Brazen labor? Um, anyway, um, so why it says that do not measure the court, do not measure the court, what does it mean? Uh, leave out the court which is outside of the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. See, we're talking about the sanctuary in heaven, but when it comes to the court, and we have these two objects, this uh, particular um, altar of uh, burnt offering where sacrifices would be taking place daily represents Calvary. And that's where Jesus um, was crucified for the sins of the world. So the outer court basically represents earth. It represents um, our planet where Jesus came and he, he was baptized and he, and he died on the cross. Uh, so um, John is told that leave out the court which is outside of the temple and do not measure it for it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Oh, 42 months. What is that? 42 months. Now, this period of time for 42 months, if you go 42 times 30 equals 1260. And also, if you go three and a half years, it also equals 1260. And also, Bible says 1260 and it equals 1260. So doesn't matter the way you say it, it's still, still the same period of time. And this period of time is mentioned in the Bible seven times. Seven times we find this period of time mentioned in the Bible. And it says that the Gentiles will be, will be trampling underfoot God's truth for 1260 days, which according to the prophecy and prophetic measurements of time is uh, one literal day equals a year. It becomes 1260 years. So what does it mean, 1260 years? The Gentiles will be, will be there. It says it will be given to the Gentiles, and they will tread on the holy city underfoot for 42 months. So we, we know this period of time when Bible talks about it. It's very clear that it's time for the... Uh, sea beast from Revelation um, 13 for his dominion starting at 538 
AD and ending in 1798 AD. And this period is known in history as Dark Ages or the time when papacy was receiving a full dominion over the, over the Christian world. Now that's interesting. Here in the Bible it says that it was given to pagans, but we know it was the Church of Rome that had dominion over the world during that time. So how do you put those two things together? Are they pagans or they are Christians? Who are they? Well, they, they received so many, I mean, so many customs and traditions and teachings that they were permeated basically with pagan teachings that the Bible in Revelation 11 calls Christian church of dark ages, it calls them pagans. That's really interesting um, definition that is given here in the Bible. So you would be wondering, okay, now they're, um, and it, it talks then um, about, about two witnesses. Let's go back to the Bible. And it says, and I will give power to my two witnesses, verse 3. It's talking about that period of time, 1260 years. I will give power to two of my witnesses. They will prophesy 1260 days. See the same time period, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and two lampstands standing before God of the earth. So we are learning here that there are two witnesses prophesying, testifying during this time. So obviously the book of Revelation is a symbolic book. And uh, if they were literal witnesses, some people believe it's Moses and Elijah. And uh, none of the real uh, human beings would survive 1260 years. So it's not talking about human beings. It's talking about something else. So who are those two witnesses testifying in sackcloth? Uh, most of the commentators agree at this point that those two witnesses, they represent two parts of the scripture, which people call Old Testament and New Testament, but I don't like calling them Old Testament and New Testament because neither Jesus or apostles called them that way. Those two parts of the scriptures are, we know that Jesus refers to them as scriptures, uh, they were referred to as the law and the prophets. We can call them Hebrew writings or scriptures. And New Testament writings, which people call New Testament writings, could be called apostolic writers, writings. Or the writings um, of the apostles. These are two witnesses. How do we know they are witnesses? Well, Jesus said in uh, John um, 5.39, I believe, he said... It's, you search the scriptures because in them you believe you will have eternal life. But they testify of, of me. They're testifying. They're witnesses. And uh, yes, they did remain alive through those dark ages, but they were clothed in sackcloth. What does it mean? That scriptures were still speaking under difficult circumstances. And they are two olive trees and two lampstands and... Uh, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, standing before God of the, of the earth. So, um, what will be happening to these two witnesses after 1260 days are over? We would be hoping that after 1260 days are over, when we reach this point in history, finally they will be released, they will be now free to speak, and they will be just uh, um, getting a new opportunity 
to, to witness or to testify. Now let's, let's see what is happening after the end of this time period. And we continue back in chapter 11. So we pick up at, seven, at verse 7. It says, when they finish their testimony... That's after that period of time, they're testifying in sackcloth. The beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them and overcome them and kill them. What? I thought they would be having a better time. They will have a better chance to testify. What does it mean? What is going on? What happened to them? And their dead bodies will lie on the street and the, of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. What is going on? What happened to these witnesses? It says they will be uh, there, there will be a beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit. So, let's start with this beast. Who in the world <laughs> is this beast? Um, he ascends from the bottomless pit. Now, we have all kinds of beasts in the book of Revelation. Maybe it's one of those. <laughs> Which one is he? We need to identify this beast. He's coming from the bottomless pit. Is this the beast from Revelation? We have sea beast we mentioned. We have the land beast. In the book of uh, Revelation 10, it also talks about, um, about the dragon. And in Revelation 17, it, it talks about a woman um, sitting on the beast. Uh, so we have all kinds of beasts in the book of Revelation. Which one is this Beast coming out of the bottomless pit. Now, none of the beasts in the book of Revelation are coming out of the bottomless pit. Neither the beast of the sea, neither the beast of the land, and none of the other beasts are coming from the bottomless pit. There is only one character in the Bible that is coming from the bottomless pit. There is only one of them. And it's none other than Satan himself. Bible talks about Satan that he goes into bottomless pit. He will be chained in the bottomless pit. He comes out of the bottomless pit. And Revelation 20, talking about uh, the millennium, is giving us more detail about the Satan himself being sent again to the bottomless pit. Now, the word bottomless pit doesn't mean that there is a hole in the ground that has no bottom. The word abyss or abyssus in Greek basically means the place of chaos. And the place of chaos is, is the place that basically belongs to Satan. And uh, that's what this, this world will look like during the, during the millennium. So, it looks like the beast that is described here is Satan himself. He is the only character in the Bible that is coming from the bottomless pit. So what is happening? Why is he after these witnesses? And why would he overcome them and kill them? How do we interpret 
this text? Well, the only interpretation that is fitting for me has to do with the things that are happening in Europe. Remember, because the papacy and dark ages were happening in Europe. So what would happen in Europe after the end of papacy? If you think about 18th century, it was the century of the era of enlightenment and reason and learning and Marxism and atheism and Darwinism and all of those isms that we were talking about already. The ideas are starting to circulate about the need of freedom, which basically led to the goddess of reason that was established in the French, and it led to the French Revolution in 1789. It was, in fact, the war against the Bible that carried forward for so many centuries in France and culminated in the scenes of the Revolution. The great city in whose streets the witnesses are slain and their bodies are laying dead is spiritually Egypt. What does it mean, Egypt? Of all the nations in the world and all the history, Egypt is known by its atheism. And when Moses approached Pharaoh and, and he said, you need to let my people go. Please let my people go. And the reason he said we need to go, because we want to worship I want to worship God. And remember what Pharaoh answered? And he said, Who is Jehovah that I should hearken unto, this, unto his voice and let Israel go? So atheism and its war on the Bible is taking place in France right after the beast of the sea is finishing his term by receiving a deadly wound, by again, by France. It was the Napoleon that put, put to the end everything that was connected with, with the Church of Rome. I was just reading recently about, about the, the French Revolution. And um, it's pretty scary what was happening there if we read about French Revolution. Well, it started with very good ideas. See, the economy was kind of shaky. Some people uh, had too much wealth. And so the first push was for equality and human rights. Everything looked good on the surface to begin. It started with ideas of equality and freedom. But as soon as the power received full control, uh-oh, all of a sudden, they would identify people in the society who they called enemies of freedom. If you wouldn't agree with the system, you are the enemy of freedom. And people tried to escape that, that new, new, new system of freedom. They wanted to get out of France. If you go to, to history... You will see guillotines that were put in the middle of the cities where these people, these people who were attempting to leave the country and to have some freedom, 
they were brought back, and they were brought back and be killed right in public so that others would want to enjoy the freedom. It was a terrible time. In fact, history tells us that from September 1793 to July 1794, 16,600 people were executed of charger, charges of counter-revolutionary acti uh, activity. Another 40,000 people may have been executed or died awaiting trial. The new law that came to effect would also give a new title to some of those people. They were called the enemies of the people. What started with some good intentions ended in so much tragedy, which is called in history as reign of terror. The atheistical power that ruled in France during the revolution and the reign of terror did wage such a war against God and his holy word as the world, as the world has never witnessed. The worship of deity was abolished by the National Assembly. Bibles were collected and publicly burned with every possible manifestation of scorn. The law of God was trampled underfoot. The institutions of the Bible were abolished. Weekly rest day was set aside, and at that time it was instituted in France a 10-day week. 10-day week. Again, as a defiance to the seventh-day week that God instituted at creation. Baptism and the communion were prohibited. In a great controversy, I read about these events in, in, in France. It says, terrible were the scenes enacted in France with a when atheism became the controlling power. It was then demonstrated to the world that to throw off the restraints which God has imposed to accept the rule of the cruelest of the tyrants, tyrants when the standard of righteousness is set aside. Now watch. The way is open for the prince of evil to establish his power on earth. In the earth. As I read about French Revolution, I realized in my mind that the Bolsheviks of the Soviet Bolshevik Revolution, they were inspired and they accepted many of the ideas and even the the songs that were they were singing they borrowed from French revolution and many of the processes that took place in France they were copied and repeated in so-called great bolshevik revolution of 1917 which followed again by persecution and uh, Dissolution of churches and uh, um, forbidding Bibles and religious activities and so forth. Well, there is one more aspect. If we, if we look at the text in, in chapter 11, it says that the city of which it's talking about, it's Paris and French, now we know, it is spiritually called Sodom. Now, what is the connection here? Why? Why would be 
Why would the prophet receive such a connection with Sodom? What do we know about Sodom and what was happening in French? Well, it's not difficult to understand. Did you know that sexual revolution started in France? You can study about it in the books of history. All of the defiance against God led to sexual revolution. The marriage institution as it was given from the Creator was abolished and many things that were happening do not need to be described right here. French presented the characteristics of the immorality which especially distinguished Sodom. And during the revolution there was manifest a state of moral debasement and corruption similar to that which brought destruction upon the cities of the plain, which was Sodom and Gomorrah. Sexual revolution followed the celebration of atheism and freedom, and all of this took place in France. As I read about these processes, I start to wonder if the changes we are seeing in our society today are similar to what is described in the prophecy of the Bible. I do not need to comment a lot, because you are watching the news. You know the story. You know the new law that was accepted and approved by the Supreme Court in 2015 in our country. You know the processes that are taking place today in our country. And I wonder if we are following in the same direction, if we are seeing the same processes. Are these things significant for us? I think they are, because look, if, if we look at the timeline, and I wonder if I can go back to the timeline and, and, and give you the idea. Now, in 1798, 1798, uh, the first beast, or the sea beast, ends his time period. And we know there is a um, whole bunch of dates here. We have um, 1776, somewhere here. And we have 1844, somewhere here. And uh, we talked about this cluster of dates and the things that are happening around this time. And one of the significant things that are happening is the new beast is coming out of the earth. It's a new country that, that appears on the globe. We are not just entering the time of the end, at the time of judgment, but we are also witnessing the new nation grow and develop and get in power. And we are right here today. We are seeing the processes taking place. Um, I'd like to take you to one more prophecy just to add a little bit more of a broader view to what is happening before our very eyes. And the prophecy I'd like to look at with you is in Daniel 11. This is a very significant chapter for our time. And if we go to the book of Daniel, and we go to chapter 11, we'll scroll to the very end of the chapter. And um, we'll get to verses 40th and on. 
Um, in verse 40, we find that phrase again, the time of the end, the time we are living in. And let's read from verse 40. It says, At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. Now, him in the context is the king of the north. For those who are students of the book of Daniel, you know that the chapter 11 is the tag of war between the king of the south and the king of the north. So we are reading about the king of the south shall attack him and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind. Okay, let's stop here. I don't want to burden you with too much of the detail. Let's just focus on the first phrase here. At the time of the end, it's now, it's here, okay? It says, the king of the south shall attack him. Now, the king of the south, if we don't go into much of the study of Daniel 11, but we understand the geographical situation there in the Palestine, we have um, Israel, and we have Babylon, and we have Egypt. And so the king of the north would be Babylon, and the king of the south would be Egypt. Now, symbolically speaking, what does the Babylon represent? It represents a false religion system or man-made religion or apostate religion of the last days. That's your king of the north. Who is the king of the south? Egypt, again, represents what we have studied before, atheism or systems that would, would war against God and his, and his word. And so when we read this verse about the time of the end, who is attacking the land that was Christian even when the Christianity is not fully following God and not following all of his commandments? Which king is attacking the king of the north? It says the king of the south. I want you to see Two opposite poles in this battle. When we were talking about the French Revolution and atheism and uh, two witnesses that are being slain in the great city of, of Paris, at the same time in the United States of America here, a new, uh, new country is arising and uh, there is a a revival, there is a religious revival. And so people came here because they wanted to worship God. But what happens in the process? What happens recently if we watch, if we watch the news and the things around us? Don't we see that at the time of the end, the king of the south, which is atheism, will attack this land and will invade it and will get more and more influence in this land. I didn't live very long in this country, but I see the changes, and uh, I see this verse being fulfilled in front of my very eyes. I think personally that people of of vast country of Russia were not as atheistic as we see processes happening here today. 
Let me tell you why. Many people of Russia and Ukraine, even during the regime, in their hearts, they believed in God. Some of them secretly at home, they would have the Bible, they would worship, they would, they would try to, uh, to teach their children secretly to pray. How do I know that? Well, I grew up there. I had two teachers that were told by the, by the principal of the school to give me a hard time because I was the only believer in class. And I remember the teacher taking me aside and she said, the principal told me to give you a bad grade. <laughs> but she says, do you know I also pray at home? She says, I, I, I fear God. I will not do that. The teachers who, but they had to work in the system, but they, they believed in God in their hearts. Many of them are God-fearing people. Yes, regime was bad. And I don't know about, about the hearts of the people. I cannot judge the hearts of the people. But we see changes. And just recently, a couple of months ago, Bibles burned publicly in Portland, Oregon. Publicly. Defiant against God. We don't need God. The king of the south shall attack him. I think that we are living right here in this first phrase of Daniel 11.40. The king of the south is, is attacking. And notice this new characteristic, Sodom and Egypt. Not just Egypt, but Sodom. Are we watching some of the processes that are taking place in the society today? I see the fulfillment of the prophecy before our very eyes. Now let me... Let me take you to Daniel uh, 12, uh, no, 13 and verse 1. Daniel, um, uh, Revelation 13 and verse 1, um, actually verse 11. When we read about this um, particular beast, beast number 2 in, um, in the book of Revelation, it has an interesting characteristic. So we go to verse 11. It says, Then I saw another beast coming up of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and spoke like a dragon. This is the title of our study today. Spoke like a dragon. I used to think, and I used to preach, <laughs> that speaking like a dragon, it's a persecution against the believers. But I began to think about it. Is that what the Bible is talking about? The persecution for the believers comes in the next verse. It says, He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes all the earth and those who dwell to worship the first beast. So we see action taking place in verse 12, but in verse 11, he speaks like a dragon. Before that action takes place. Let me ask you a question. What does it mean then to speak like a dragon? Well, we need to listen to the dragon speak. And we will find out what does it mean to speak like a dragon. Other places in the Bible when dragon speaks? Yes, there are. 
And the first one is right there in the Garden of Eden. And what did he say to Eve? Did God really say that? Do you need God to be happy? Aren't you smart enough <laughs> to, to know better? Speaking like a dragon is, 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 is telling people, hey, enough of this religion stuff, enough of this God stuff, you don't need God. That's speaking like a dragon. It's very subtle change. That is, that, uh, that is um, an ideology of atheism, is speaking like a dragon. Speaking like a dragon. Are we witnessing the changes in our society today? As we look at this battle, I wanted to show you this bigger picture of the atheism and, and Christian America, and now atheism is crossing the Gulf, so to speak, or the ocean, and coming to America, invading America. Now we see this... Um, Two forces, as never before. Think about two parties. Liberal atheism on one side, and we have Christian conservative trends on the other side. Aren't they bumping heads today with each other? Isn't that what is recorded in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40? We see this confrontation between two powers right before our very eyes. My friends, this is fulfillment of, of God's prophecy. The things that are happening in our country today are very concerning, but at the same time, we live in the time when prophecies of the Bible are fulfilling. One of the elements of the prophecy of Ezekiel 8 I didn't show to you when I was talking about Ezekiel 8 and 9. But in chapter 9, when the vision is given to Ezekiel about the man in, um, in linen with writers in corn, it says that the glory of the Lord departed from the temple and stood at the threshold of the temple. Now, what is going on? Where the glory of the God was supposed to be? In most holy place, above the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. But when people turn away from God, when they turn their backs on the Bible and the way of the Lord, the glory of God departs. The Spirit of God and the blessings of God are being withdrawn. The more people turn their backs on God, the less blessings will be there for the people that at some point they wanted to serve God, they wanted to worship God with sincere hearts. So when we proceed in the book of Revelation, we come to Revelation 18. It's another vision of the whole system crumbling down because national apostasy will lead to economic ruin. Like I said in the beginning, it will get harder before it gets better. It will be harder. It will be harder to worship. It will be harder in the way of economy. In many ways, it will be harder for the Christians. 
And when things start crumbling down, what will happen next? We need to go back to, um, to Daniel 11. We need to go back to Daniel 11. And in Daniel 11, it tells us the next step. We are studying Daniel 11 and Revelation 11. So I'm jumping back and forth. So we're in Daniel 11 and verse, verse 40. And here is the next step, which will happen when the things become very shaky and uh, unstable. And here is the next step. After the king of the south attacks, and that's where we are right now, here is your next step. And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, with many ships, and he shall enter the countries and overwhelm them and pass through. Now this verse in my understanding, corresponds directly with Revelation 13 and verse 12. Revelation 13. The second beast will exercise all the authority of the first beast to enforce, finally we need to come together. We need to start worshiping together. We need to be united, and we need to do this thing right so that we can save the nation. It will be the counterattack. See, this is the attack of the king of the south. But when the king of the north turns around and, and comes back, it's the counterattack. And that's when the beast of the land exercises all the authority of the first beast, and that's what you see. It says in verse 41, he shall also enter the glorious land. Now, it's symbolic language. It's not Israel, and I don't think it's the United States of America either. I believe it's talking about God's people. Persecution on God's people in many countries shall be overthrown, and the only Safety and the only hope for God's people will be the news from the east. Hallelujah. Amen. But the news from the east and the north shall travel. What is the news from the east, friends? Is the declaration about the second coming of Jesus. The declaration that comes from the throne of God itself in Revelation 19, you will see that declaration, you will study about it. It's, it's a glorious declaration. The message from the east, the kings from the east that came to, <clears throat> to enter Babylon and, uh, and to bring the end to the Babylonian empire. The messages from the east are the messages of the second coming because Jesus is coming and God's people will be saved. It says here that the messages from the east will trouble him, therefore he shall go out with great fury and destroy it and annihilate many, but it says here that yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. No wonder that we are living right here between two verses in Revelation. Between the verse Revelation 13, 11, when he spoke like a dragon, we are living before that time when he exercises all the authority. 
our only hope, my friends. And remember, we know the end of the book. Amen? God will see us through. I believe that those things will be speedily developing and they will be happening fast. God will shorten those days for the sake of the elect. Because he cares for you, he cares for me, he, he watches over you, he watches over me. It says here, here is the patience of the saints and those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. In this great controversy, God has a people. He can point out and say, here are those who keep the commandments of God. Again, not by our strength, but by the grace and power of our Lord Jesus Christ, we claim his righteousness and the faith of Jesus. How many characteristics of God's people in this verse, friends? How many do you see? One, two, anyone? Three. <laughs> Which one is the third? Patience. Here is, we, we, all, we always focus on keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. But there is one more. Which one is that? Patience. My friends, what does it mean for us today what we've studied about the prophecy of Revelation 11? It means that we're getting closer to the second coming of Jesus it means that God's prophecies are true. We see them fulfilling before our very eyes. It means for us that we need to learn how to live, to love our countries as much as we can, never forgetting that we are sojourners and strangers in this land, no matter what country we are in. We know where we belong, amen? And we know that Jesus is coming soon. So there was this uncle, and his, his family was encouraging him to try to fly on the airplane because he was afraid to fly. Finally, they made him to fly, and he was able to get on the airplane and made himself to sit and put the, the seat belt on, and he was able to fly. Not, 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 not to fly the airplane, but he was a passenger. He managed to be a passenger <laughs> on the airplane. It was a very scary experience for him. So um, his friends were eager to hear how it went after, after the plane landed and asked him if he enjoyed the flight. Here's what he said. Well, he said, it wasn't as bad as I thought it might be. But I'll tell you this, he said. I never put my all weight down. I never put my all weight down. <laughs> friends, it's time to put our all weight down and trust in Jesus. It's time to get to know him personally. It's time to trust everything to him. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. And friends, I'm not saying that this pandemic in 2020 will usher right away all the final events and everything's going to happen just like that. I don't have that particular message. I'm just sharing what I am observing based on Bible prophecy. God is in control. He knows the time. He knows your heart and my heart. The question is, are we going to be ready? God is calling you today to turn to Him and to trust in Him and put all the weight down. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. It gives us a glimpse of the last page. It gives us hope 
It gives us peace to know that it's going to be all right. If we put all the way down and we trust in you completely, Lord, there will be trouble sometimes. There will be time of trouble as never before. But you promise to see us through and then we'll be home. It will get worse before it gets better, but it will get better. So we thank you for that message from your word. We pray that you give us wisdom how we can live in the society today and still be a witness about your love and your power to redeem and save. We pray that you also give us courage to be different and stand on the side of truth. Not to blend in with the trends of society today, but to shine for you. Father, I pray that you give us that discernment. I pray that you prepare our hearts for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because without your presence and your power in our lives, we won't be able to go through, the, through these last days. Help us to confess anything we need to confess so that our hearts would be open for you and ready to receive that latter rain that you have promised. Father, bless us as your church. Keep us in your hand. Protect us and guide us by your Spirit. We thank you and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us, friends. Um, we'll continue again. Um, next Friday we'll have presentation 6 o'clock p.m. and then Saturday morning at 11. So for two more weekends we'll be studying the books of the Bible dealing with Bible prophecy. I wish you a good week and may God bless you.